Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And we started reading this portion of Isaiah yesterday. We saw how Isaiah 2, 3, and 4, they're really all part of this same poetic prophecy, this oracle that continues on. It starts off in chapter 2 with this vision of this messianic age, the swords being beaten into plowshares. There's this great vision, but Isaiah says, but you have to first despair of the present circumstances. And so there is this prophecy of judgment, of fire, of purifying fire, but a scary one nonetheless. And so that's been continuing on. And now we've got chapter four, which is just six verses. You know, the the division here is kind of funny. But we have these six verses here, and they are the transition between what you have in chapters two and three. And then something totally different in chapter 5. Chapter 5 starts off this song about a vineyard. So understanding this transition is going to help us understand what's going on in these first several chapters of Isaiah. So an important six verses, even if it is just a small chapter. And joining us today, we have as our guest, we've got Pastor Nate Ruback. He's the pastor at Grace Lutheran Chapel in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome to the program, brother. I'm not sure I've had the pleasure of having you on before. No, um, not us, not you and I together, that's for sure. But it's a pleasure to be back this morning. Yeah, thanks for being on. And so, um, yeah, no, Grace Lutheran Chapel, that was one that I never had the pleasure of going out and visiting. Um, I think I was just looking at Google Maps and seeing that you guys are uh, up north, like towards like the north side of the 270 loop. Yeah, we're in uh, North St. Louis County uh, on the west, uh, the eastern side, uh, close to uh, Ferguson. Uh, our city is Bell Fountain Neighbors, a small little uh, bedroom community on the north side of St. Louis County. All right, and so um, what's what's something that you're excited about that's going on at Grace Lutheran Chapel? Well, we just started a new school year with uh, tons of new faces and uh, some new staff and faculty that uh, has has been off to a good start and and always looking forward to getting to know the kids and being with the kids during their school day and the opportunity to you know to to share with them the love of Jesus and and just walk with them in their in their lives. Um, many of these kids come from backgrounds that are you know are a little bit. Uh, are uh, broken, broken, broken families, and it's really an amazing opportunity to be able to to show them that uh, they have a, a God who loves them and a Savior who loves them, and that we are here to uh, to help them through their life. Awesome. There's always a lot of energy that you get from a school when you have a school that's uh, joined together or um, that's in a close association with the church there. And so it's something that it's an opportunity, like you were saying, to serve the community by serving mm-hmm. in in the school, you know, which which is uh, also often a, a hub of the community. But then also, I mean, it's a blessing for the for the pastor, for the people, the teachers all those who gather around those kids because mm-hmm. i mean you know there's something that you get while you're while you're giving there so very good stuff and yeah so, it's a fantastic opportunity for our congregation to continue to serve and uh-huh. you know meet a need that's that's needed in our part of the city that's for sure absolutely and um did i say your name right Ruback, is that right Ruback. yep, that's yep. okay 
Excellent. Very good. Well, great to have you on. And yeah, looking at this short little chapter, but um, the nice thing about that is it'll give us a chance to kind of look back on chapters two and three to kind of see, okay, now how does this have to do with this here? And then maybe look a little bit ahead at chapter five just to see now how does this kind of transition us into this new section here. So we got some good stuff today to look at, but before we do, would you uh, say a prayer for us and for everybody listening? Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. This is the day that you have made, and we uh, rejoice and are glad in this. We are glad in this opportunity to be in your word and pray that you bless our hour together, that uh, we may learn about um, who you have called us to be and the Savior that you have given us in your Son, Jesus. Um, Continue to bless us in all the ways as we look and study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the first two verses here, you know, if you have the ESV, the ESV puts that big number four to mark the beginning of the chapter in the middle of a paragraph. It it says, yeah, I know, and you see that every so often that you get, like, it's a new chapter, but it's, we don't think it's actually a new section here, and so they'll do it like that, that you don't actually have that blank new line space Um, So in verse 24, it starts a poetic section here, and we were looking at that yesterday, how this is just this, um, well, and before that even, you get this super long list of like accessories and jewelry. Mm -hmm. Then verse 24, there's this kind of poetic demise of all of the finery. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of a well-set hair, baldness. Um, And he goes through that. And then so uh, chapter 4 is just begun in the same breath. In the middle of all those things, then you have the comment, and we read it last time, and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. So we we started to kind of get into that and scratch the surface there, but now we have some time to kind of you know, chew on this a little bit uh, at a more reasonable pace. So so what's going on here? How how does this beginning of the chapter, which is just a continuation, um, fit in with what we already read in chapter three? Yeah, I think it's important to note that even though it, it marks as a new chapter, it is very important to connect um, that first verse with what happens in twenty six. You know, it's it's a change, certainly a literary change in what Isaiah is talking about. But it's a move that, as you said earlier, moves us into a transition. Um, he he's pointing to what 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 breaks down around us. In verse one, it it, it takes kind of what is poetic in twenty four through twenty six and makes it a little bit more into the personal. Mm-hmm. So it begins to connect at least in my eyes, back back to people and into circumstances that will begin to happen and, and what actually connects all the way back to chapter three um, in this in the earlier verses where it talks about this this time of God's judgment and this, mm-hmm. this despair that happens. So being in that poetic form, it's it's not always that we're gonna see this literal well set hair turned to baldness or witch robe rich robe to a skirt of sackcloth, but it's this idea that there is a, a, a demise within God's judgment. And, I, and, and I, the writer is wants to draw our attention that God's judgment will take effect in their life. 
So I think as we move into verse 1, we begin to see what some of the consequences that were spoken about earlier in chapter 3 begin to take effect. Right. You, you do have that all very poetically set, um, th- this judgment here, particularly as the women come into focus. And we, and we saw mm-hmm. that last time, how chapter 3 begins with kind of like infants or children kind of in view. There's this idea that we, we lose all of our leaders, and so the only people who are left are just inexperienced and unqualified. And, and kind of yeah. poetically here, they're depicted as infants and children instead of elders and princes. So you, you have that poetic justi- juxtaposition. But then in verse 16, it switches from that to focusing in on the women. And so sure. in 16, you go on to, because the daughters of, of Zion are haughty. So you get that, and then you get more of that poetic stuff in verse 24 through 26. And then just like you said, in chapter 4, verse 1, the transition is out of the poetry, and so you get a break in the lines, and now it's that description, and it's such a, like you said, it's such a real-life description of the circumstance, and it's just done through just kind of a brief introduction and just a quote. Um, you know, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name, take away our reproach, as just a, a kind of very terse way of describing, okay, that was all the poetic way of describing this, but here is like an example of what someone in real life might actually say in this kind of situation that we've been poetically describing. And, yeah. and man, what what a quote, what a line. If you were just to pick one line of just how bad it's going to be, this does a really good job of very quickly showing you the kind of disaster that's come on them. Well, and there's a lot that goes into that one verse. I mean, you look again at the imagery and the language there, you look at a point where, you know, you, you can't ignore the sentence, seven women shall take a hold of one man. You know, the verses prior talk about, you know, the fact that the wars will be so fierce, the men are going to be killed off. And you have this move that um, th- that now these desperate, despairing women are out there just to grab a hold of a man so that they'll be simply have the title as wife. Right. And, and men are become so scarce that... Um, they just simply want to escape any kind of shame of being unwed, to be unchildless. And they're saying, you know, you look at, um, you know, we will we will eat our own bread. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know what, we just want your name. Right. I don't need your money. I don't need you to support me. They're willing to support themselves. Uh, I'm going to wear my own clothes. But I need you to take this. Sh- the, I need this to take the shame or the reproach away. Mm-hmm. Um, so culturally speaking, children were regarded as as such this this blessing that often those who were childless or barren were looked at the ones who were despised. I mean, Hagar, uh, Hagar and Sarah. H- Hagar despised right. the barren, and it, it's just like in, in these last times with God's judgment, it will get it will get so. Um, what's the word? It'll. I'm. I'm reach, well, trying to reach for a yeah, word yeah, here. Yeah. Things well, get well, so I mean, desperate yeah. that that what is culturally appropriate and what was respected will go by the wayside. Right. There, there's this desperation to just hold on, just uh, 
to the status quo just you know with anything we'll just make anything do we saw that in chapter three the first part of chapter three how you know we're just we're just so obsessed with maintaining the status quo that okay judah has been reduced to rubble right there's there's nothing left except for like a wasteland but we're going to go ahead and say you know what we're going to maintain our government here we're going to go and maintain you know the the way that things have been and so in 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 verse six you know you have a cloak you you shall be our leader and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule right Mm -hmm. you know we just we just have to keep the outward form of things even if everything's falling to pieces around us and so similarly here it's like well, Mike, it, it, it just can you imagine, right? You know, just things are falling to pieces, and 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 the women are left, and they're like, well, well, I don't want anyone gossiping about me, though. And so here, look, like, let me like be legal, and you know, make make me a you know a, a, a what's the, what's the term like um, an honest woman, right? You know, that yeah. kind of like kind of yeah. old fashioned idea, right? Like like everything is falling to pieces, and the men and the women both are just concerned with keeping up appearances and making sure no one talks bad about them. Uh, things are falling around like falling to pieces around them like i was reading a story the other day about um someone who this is this was crazy but it was a story related by a firefighter you know uh, the question was kind of asked him like what what's like the worst situation in terms of like you know just dealing with the you know people being dense and he said you know he's he's in a building and he's like shouting like you know like we got to get you out of here and the guy's like hold on i need to print out this report by 3 p.m yeah and it's like the building is burning down what are you doing you know and uh needless to say eventually you know the the paper just did not get printed out because the sure. the firefighter wasn't going to take that but just to, to imagine that that you know everything is falling to pieces and everyone's just concerned with keeping up appearances well, and I, and I think, I mean, going with that with that story, you think about it, and those who are so stuck on the status quo are desperate not to be disrespected or to, to keep that, that whatever, that, that face or the reputation up. You know, ultimately, you know, use that story, that person stays there to simply print a report, and what's going to happen? Well, right. if they don't leave, their demise will come. Right. And often we we see that in Scripture that yeah we are so stubborn in in, in maintaining that the, that the worldly things around us are are look good that we're often then blinded to what what's happening in reality and I and I want to say that that's really kind of the picture that begins to happen in verse one is is that everything's gone around them and yet they're they're not concerned with the bigger picture. Right. Right. No, exactly. And we were talking about that last time that, you know, there's, you know, Isaiah is kind of depicting this, this bust that comes after the boom, and it's meant to bring repentance. Everyone Mm -hmm. is, is holding fast to these idols and the wealth. And we've got our, you know, the, the, our, our sophistication. We're so worldly. We have all these different things. We're so cosmopolitan, all these little ideas and religious trinkets from all over the world. Look at us. We're so well-traveled and so sophisticated. We're acquainted with so many different kinds of ideas and whatever else, right? Um, and we're, we're so just content to just base everything on our material wealth mm-hmm. and this this worldliness. God's going to take it all away to w- wake us up, you know, and give us this wake-up call and say, hey, you can't depend on that stuff. That's not where true security and true uh, true peace comes from. And, you know, just like God sending a fire, it's so you get out of the building. 
that's that's the purpose but but people like like we're saying they don't necessarily get the message and so we saw that that there's this description in chapter three of people in in the midst of disaster and poverty um they still have not woken up and and we saw that and um it was really helpful i think it was uh cindy who called in yesterday and uh, was uh, helping me to remember it was in proverbs 30 right that there's that prayer um, you know, don't don't let me have too much, but not too little, because we, we can we can miss God either either way. Well, absolutely, and I you know I think that translates. You know, we may talk about this later on, but it, it's amazing when you begin to see the context in which chapter three, chapter four, beginning of chapter four happens. How much we can plug ourselves into this, you know, in the world that's happening right around us. You know, I, I every day we hear stories about. You know, people that are, are 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 desperate in poverty, or they're focused on things, or you know, even within within ministry, we begin to engage in people where their priorities are just completely backwards. Right. Where you know, the best car, the best shoes, the best clothes, the mm-hmm. best phone takes over control over you know, paying your mortgage or your bills or things. People begin to lose focus on what is appropriate in life you know, in the way that we're called to support one another with our things rather than hoard them for ourselves. It's right. It's the storing up of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of our goods that really have no benefit to us. That's right. Yeah. You, you don't, yeah. Even in the midst of, of poverty and disaster, you can still be materialistic or, mm-hmm. or greedy or, or envious. Um, and, and in some ways it can just make it worse. And so, um, yeah, it's all it's all coming together here, and and you see that. And we talked about this a little bit last time. You know, the the dwelling on the women and uh, particularly what they're wearing and their marital status seems a little bit odd to us. But it but it makes a lot of sense in that context where r- really you know w- what's the opposite of all your men are dying in battle. Um, well, the opposite is all the men are successful in battle and they come home with lots of plunder. So really, verses 24 through 26 is just a proxy way of saying the men, um, or rather the, the first part rather, in 18 through 23, that's a proxy way of saying all the men are surviving and they're doing really well and there's prosperity in battle, victory in battle. Mm-hmm. That's why they're coming home and they're you know decking out their, their wives like trophy cases or something like that. Um, and then in verses 24 through 26, you have the opposite. And so in that culture, especially, you, you mentioned it too, you know, um, childlessness was seen as shameful. I mean, if you weren't married by the time you were 20, um, you, I mean, you were counted as a cursed. I mean, I mean, getting you, the whole idea was you get married very quickly. You have children very quickly. So, um, so yeah, different cultural setting, but that's kind of how it how it makes sense and I think we've done a good job of kind of translating that to our own situation. It, it's just about status. It's about appearances. But then you get this this different thing here in verse 2, um, yeah. which is why in the ESV you actually have like, you know, that gap. It's a, it's a space, new paragraph. And for the first time, and maybe you're, maybe we're all kind of feeling in a long time, uh, not since the beginning of, you know, chapter, what was it? It was the beginning of chapter 3, Um or is it, no, it was actually, it was uh, all the way back at the beginning of chapter two, right? We finally have a description of something good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, I think it's important then to know, and I think I think Isaiah is, is, is giving us a little moment of grace, you know, not only in what he's writing, but also right. to remind us that, yes, God is both, um, we'll 
put forth judgment, but he is also a God of grace and glory within that judgment. Um, one com- commentator wrote, this is the gutter to glory transition. Mm. Um, that even if it is just for, for what, four verses, right. um, five verses, you do get a glimpse of the fact that even in all of the despair, the destruction, the the loss of of status, of whatever um, these people are going through, God still has a gracious plan in the mix. Um, it, it's again, it's not it's not getting away from. Um, it's an attempt to, to, to again to show that God does have grace even in the midst of a pretty significant and, and deep judgment. Right. Well, no, yeah, that's right. It get, and it gets very deep. And um, it really, the other, the other thing is too, this actually kind of helps us appreciate the whole poetic structure of this, because it is, you know, as we've been saying, the, the whole thing from two through four, chapters two through four, it is just kind of one big prophetic poem mm-hmm. um, with, you know, every once in a while you have like a, a line or two kind of in between to kind of make transitions or to, you know, give us an example of a real life quote or something like that. But, you know, chapter two started off this poem, you know, with this um, very just glorious uh, vision of this messianic future, you know, the the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, the nations shall flow to it, right? We had this beautiful vision, right? But then you had the turning point in verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let's walk in the light of the Lord, verse 6, for you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. So there, there's this sense of, we, that's where we want to go. We want to go to this messianic vision. We want to go to the place that God's preparing for us, Um and that means we need to turn our our back on this disaster. We need to get out of the burning building, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. you have and you have like just two chapters basically of just guys. It's it's burning. The, this is it's just two chapters of the firefighter yelling. It's, it's on fire. You need to leave. Um, and then at the end of the poem here in chapter four, it's just the other bookend here, ending with okay. Again, what, why are we just talking about this? Why are we talking about just how deep and you know, how deep the disaster is? Uh, it, it's because this is where we're going. This is the goal. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of chapter two? Let's let's take a look at that again. In that day, right? So it's um, it, it's it's a nice a poetic structure like that, having it at the beginning and the end. Yeah, I take it to a kin of uh, or chalking it up to to a life of as a, as a parent. You know, I I have two boys, eight and twelve. Um, and they are mischievous as I was as a kid. And, it, you know, as a parent, we, we try to teach them in the ways that, that they need to live and how they treat one another and how God calls them to live. But eventually they're going to mess up, mm-hmm. and there's going to be consequences to that. And there are mm-hmm. sometimes some very difficult consequences to walk through. And yet in the end is always a reminder as a parent to say, you know what, you messed up, but you have this chance to be able to not do it again, to understand that my love is always going to be for that. You may completely think that I'm throwing you under the bus and hate you at this point, but it's only to lead you to see that you're better than that, that you've been called to be better than that, that yeah. God thinks you're better than that. Yeah. And you often see that, I think, in the graciousness of the prophets where they, they say, okay, this is, this is our expectation you fell from that expectation. These are the consequences, 
But remember, it doesn't end with a consequence. It, right. it does end with, with, God's, um, with God's promise of a Messiah. It, it, is, it is promise of his forgiveness and our salvation. The story doesn't end when you think you're at the lowest of the low. That's right. The, the poetic structure of beginning and ending this way is also helping us to see this theological message, as you were mm-hmm. saying, that God begins and ends with grace, that the law, as, as, as damning as it is, as hard as it is, you know, and, and we got into all the, the details um, and the length of it, right, through chapters 2 and 3, and just, you know, wow, it, it just feels like law, 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 sure. condemnation, condemnation, right? But God begins and ends with grace. The law is there to serve the gospel. It's just like you were saying, dealing with the children as a parent might. You know, there's all that punishment. And, you know, sometimes that punishment might be, a you know, there's long-term punishment, right? That mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, for a whole month, you're not going to be able to get this or that. But all of that is just to serve um, grace. It's all out of love, ultimately. That's what you're trying to get them to. It's all to get them to this other thing. We got to hold that thought because we got to go into a break now. But everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 4 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas offers a classical Lutheran education for preschool through 12th grade. Imagine your child at Faith Lutheran School learning biology, chemistry, geometry, algebra, Latin, theology, sports and fine arts, and much more. Faith Lutheran School offers both in-person and online options. Visit their website for more information at flsplano.org. That's flsplano.org. Hello, this is Kay Meyer of Family Shield. I want to invite KFUO listeners to our 25th anniversary celebration, Sunday, October 13th, at Royal Orleans in South St. Louis County. Reverend Michael Newman is our speaker on our theme, Families Worship Him. Learn more or register at FamilyShieldMinistries.com. Again, FamilyShieldMinistries.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and we're joined today by our guest, Pastor Nate Ruback, pastor of Grace Lutheran Chapel in St. Louis, Missouri. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 4, this this transitional chapter, a short one, 
but it's one that completes this prophetic oracle that began in chapter 2 and it paves the way for what we have in chapter 5. We were just talking about, you know, how it does this. Chapter 2 begins with this glorious vision of what God wants to do for his people, where he wants to take his people. Um, But everything that follows the rest of chapter 2, all of chapter 3, the first verse here of chapter 4, all the law, all this description of just um, how bad things are right now, the reason why we need to get out of here, the reason why we need to go to where God wants us to go. And in verse 2, then we finally have it picked up again. This, this is that vision. This is why we're, we're leaving. This is, this is why all this law and this fire um, is coming to move us on to this. Um, and I want to make sure that I invite everybody listening live. If you do have a question, you know, because this, this is this is actually really good. I mean, this is helping us to see, like, this is how the first several chapters of Isaiah all fit together. You talk about Isaiah all the time. We're going to see a lot of Isaiah and Advent and Christmas, but this is helping us get our bearings straight for the whole book. If you've got a question or a comment, you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Elsewhere, you can call one 800 730 or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So, yeah, we should go ahead and read then this, this I mean, the, the chapter, <laughs> properly speaking. We've technically only read the first verse of it. <laughs> All right, so, so verse, uh, yeah. you, would you like me to pick up just reading verse verses 2 through 6 then? Oh, so normally I'm the one who reads, but Perfect. if you're bold go enough to it. ask, I'll go ahead and let I'll go ahead and let you read if you would like. Okay. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the Lord, Lord the land, shall be uh, pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who left, who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and shining of flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy, for there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain." That and that is such a uh, it, it is so interesting a way that it transforms the law imagery, the condemnation imagery of chapters two and three. There's there's all of that we talked about that. There's this tension. There's fire coming, and what does fire do? Well, I mean, it destroys, it burns. I mean, it's like it's a scary image, but it also purifies. It also is a way of getting the dross to you know burn off, so that all you're left with is that pure silver. So there, there's this there's this tension here, and then here in chapter four, the the fire it finally is revealed to be just a good thing. Yeah. It's it's just like it was like we saw in Numbers, where that fire is guiding the tabernacle, guiding the people. It's a symbol of God's presence. The fire is there to just protect them and to be a source of light and to be a source of comfort for the people who are left now in Jerusalem. Yeah, and I think the the beautiful, three beautiful words in the, in the transition of this entire chapter are the first three words of verse 
to be in that day. You know, it really draws to a mark um, of, of a transition of, okay, in that day, not in this day, not of what you're in the midst of now, but that day, the day of uh, the, the day that God has foreseen and plans, that is the glorious day. It, it marks the, the readers to know that in the midst of everything we just heard, in, in chapter 3, the end of chapter 2, of all this, you know, the destruction, the judgment, there is a different day. There is hope in what Isaiah is writing. And I think those, those three words, we hear them all the time, um, many times throughout the Old Testament, is, is that marking of in that day. Um, and that it's not in our day. It's in God's day. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's it's actually. I was thinking about that myself when I was looking this over. It, it is. It, I mean, I, I do think you have that. There's this idea that you see, like you were saying in scripture, a lot that when when you get the prophets talking about in that day, we're, we're talking about the day of of God, like you were saying. It's not our day. It's God's day. This this day, or or sometimes it even says, you know, the day of the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. where, where Lord is all caps, and it's Yahweh. Um, sometimes you, you get that even. There's this idea that there is this day coming, um, and we don't know exactly when, but it's a day where God is going to show up in a big way, and he is going to let loose his wonders and and do some things that are going to shake up everything. And, and so you, you do have that sense. Um, interesting here in chapter in chapters 3 and 4, this is actually a repetition. In chapter 4, you get, you know, in that day— in, in verse 2 here of chapter 4, we also saw in that day earlier, it was in, this is, this is interesting 18, here. I believe. Yeah, is and so and and so there's this, there's this, this twofold in that day. And of course, we, we saw that, you know, uh, really early on in, in chapter 2, right? It shall come to pass in the latter days. So you have that as kind of like the introduction that all this stuff is happening, not, you know, in the present, but this is a a view of the future in these latter days. And then you have these two repetitions here in verse uh, 2 of chapter 4, and then like you said just now in chapter 3, verse 18, in that day the Lord will take away. So there, there is. I mean, I think, I, I think that's. Um, I think you're right that there is. This is so comforting because, okay, yeah, in that day, wow, it's going to be a scary day, right? There, it's going to be mm-hmm. a day of, uh, you know, great darkness. It's going to be a great a day of, uh, you know, fire, right? But hey, in that day, there's also going to be salvation. There's going to be holiness. There's going to be uh, having been washed away. Um, you know, there's there's something good about it too. It's not all scary and and that 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 to me fits really well with what we saw in Isaiah 3 uh, because you know we we mentioned at the very end of our uh, our hour yesterday you know almost all of chapter 3 is just you know all this condemnation but there was that yeah. one little verse that happened really fast verse 10 tell the righteous that it shall be well with them yeah. or they shall eat the fruit of their deeds um, but you know for the wicked right and it goes right back into just sure, everything I've got every... in store for the wicked right but um, you know the, the righteous have, have been left hanging like hang on um, God said it was going to be well with us <laughs> yeah where does that come to pass well chapter 4 verse 2 gives us a little glimpse you know it's interesting if you look back at verse uh, chapter 3 verse 18 yeah. you know it says in that day the Lord you know yeah. it, it's pretty poignant that 
it is the Lord who will suddenly take away all that is precious, all that they have adorned themselves with. And it's in, in the language is a little different than in chapter four, verse two, because it doesn't say in the in that day the Lord. No, it 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 goes back to the idea of, of again of prophecy that it is foretelling this branch of the Lord, mm-hmm. who you know obviously is spoken about later in Isaiah about the branch from the from the from the stump of Jesse, um, again being a messianic prophecy. And, and again, I think it, it wants to bring the people back to understanding that that promise, given all the way back to Adam and Eve, still exists. And, on, and in that day that God had ordained, this Messiah will come to pass. This, right. this Messiah will come to fruition. Yeah, that is that is interesting. You're pointing out the difference of language. What's um you know something that it's easy to miss. Here in, in chapter 4, verse 2, you've got an all-caps Lord, because that in the Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh. Um, it, it shall be um, the branch of Yahweh, it says. Um, you know, be- beautiful, then, is the next word. In chapter 3, verse 18, you actually don't have Yahweh. It's actually literally the word Lord. Lord. Uh, which is which is just that kind of simple regular word for Lord. It can be a lot of people can be called Lord. It just mm-hmm. you know, the guy in charge. It's it's not nearly as personal as a name. It, there, it's just in that day we'll take away Lord. You know the Lord, and and, and so isn't that interesting that you have. It's a it's a difference of relationship, right? You know, if you only know him as the guy in charge, if you only know him as the guy who has power, um, then yeah, that day's going to look scary because he's going to be taking away all this stuff. He's going to sure. be changing the status quo, and maybe you like the status quo. Maybe you're desperate to hang on to the status quo, and even if you get a ridiculous gender ratio of seven to one, you're just like, no, we got to keep this going. We got to keep um, things the way they have always been. But if you know God is more than just, you know, the guy in charge, if you know him is more than just the tyrant of heaven, and you know him as Yahweh, if you know him as the creator of the universe who loves the universe, who gives only of himself, and whose first and last move is always grace, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, if you know him like that, then that day is not necessarily all scary, but there's a lot of good yeah it, it brings it personal that you're right this 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 lord yahweh is is known in a in a personal way that takes is you're right he's more than the the sometimes i tell our confirmants you know god is more than the god than, than the person up in heaven controlling chess pieces right and sometimes you just lose mm-hmm. no but he is a god of grace mm-hmm. and it, you continue on just a few words after verse two, and again, I think it's a it's a beautiful kind of bookend to the point that in chapter three they talked about them adorning themselves to be beautiful, all the things they'd wear and they do right, their hair, right. and who ends up to be the beautiful one? Mm-hmm. Yahweh is. Yahweh shall be beautiful and glorious, not you, but the one who's going to bring you out of this is the one who is truly beautiful and glorious. Well, and that's isn't that interesting too? I mean, like it does. Um, that's right. That see, the beauty comes from Yahweh, but like literally, it does say 
the branch the branch of Yahweh shall be beautiful and mm-hmm. glorious, right? And, and, and who's the branch? I mean, it actually restates it here. The fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. This surviving remnant is Yahweh's branch. And this, this reminds me of the New Testament where Jesus, our Lord, says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Yep. We are actually called the branches of God, and we are beautiful because he is, not because of anything we put on ourselves. I mean, right, like not anything so external that can be taken away, but because of something very intensely personal, something very deep and intrinsic because of our identity, because of who made us and where we come from. We're beautiful. Yeah, I, um, going. Yeah, I think verse three it continues. The, the, this whole these last verses again all bring into what you're just saying. Um, those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, are the ones who called, who be, who are called, will be called holy by everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Um, we get into verse 4, I can't help but think about this, uh, about Psalm 130, where it says, um, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Okay, that, okay, God, O Lord, you mark our sins, and against you nobody could stand. But verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared, that you may be respected. And I can't help but but place the words of Psalm 30 into this entire kind of movement through this early section of Isaiah. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. And you and you see these sorts of echoes all over Scripture that it, there's a lot of things that you can draw similarities to. And so I, I want to actually kind of take that point and uh, and kind of try to make make something kind of contextual of it. Uh, I think that you could you can see this prophecy, right, that began in chapter 2 and extending through chapter 4 here as applying to a lot of situations. You, you could see it as uh, applying to something, you know, in the life of David, um, who wrote mm-hmm. so many of the Psalms. You could see it as something that applying to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could see it as uh, something that applies to the church, uh, the church today in, in America. You could uh, apply it to, like, the, the, our, your, our own lives, right? Um, I want to I start by asking the question, though, what does it refer to in the local context here? You know, when we were looking at chapters two and three, we said, well, it's talking about that currently there's a time of abundance. There's a time of, you know, that's what you have, like the idea in chapter two, that God's pronouncing judgment against this rampant idolatry and this um, this materialism, uh, a wealthy, the wealthy variety of materialism, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were thinking that you know, this is probably during the reigns of Jotham and Ahaz, you know, some bad kings. And so if that's what's kind of going on in the local context here, um, you know, these kings that are ruling before before the destruction of Assyria is going to come, before Sennacherib is going to come and just way lace to Judah and nearly capture the city of Jerusalem also, then what is chapter 4 referring to? What is, what is this What is this time of peace and, and this time of, you know, the, the survivors being holy? What's that getting at in the, the local immediate context then? I think part of it is is the is this. I mean, we look at um, verse three, three about those who are are called to be called to be holy. It's those understanding that there is a, a remnant that that are left, even even amongst a, a you know 
bad kings that will, you know, that the cities will be will be decimated. I, I think that there is there are those that remain and will remain faithful in amongst whatever chaos or destructions happening earthly. Mm-hmm. That there still is this. Let me put it this way: It's very easy that in the midst of of life for you for you and I, when when things go bad, is to use language like, "Why, why is God doing this to me? Why is everything that I've worked for, everything around me, or everything that I've held close to me suddenly going away?" And it's very easy to slip into a bit of despair of, "Well, God has just abandoned me completely." Mm-hmm. Um, the the holy city in which he he has he has called his people to you know that's now been destroyed okay come on god what are you doing the fact is is that that as you know verse 3 starts about those who are left that there is a faithful remnant that that even we see strong even through the early christian church is that there are those that are still that are still called to be holy that are still holy that there is still hope in the in the midst of what seems to be chaos and destruction around us, mm-hmm. right, right, that's right. And and we were talking about that too. That you know, when you look at Isaiah chapter two and the description of you know the the, the bad state of affairs, the the faithlessness, the spiritual um, poverty of the people, even in the midst of material mm-hmm. wealth. Um, and just the injustices and everything else. You look at those verses and you're like, oh man, doesn't that seem to apply to our own present day situation? And we talked about the idea of goodness. I mean, or do we really expect anything better to happen in our own day? You know, may, maybe, maybe there is temporal punishment that is due our society for the, the terrible things that we have done and continue to do. But as you're just saying, it, even no matter what comes, even if there is calamity and temporal punishment, there is something good for the people of God. There is, like verse 10 said in chapter 3, that um, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Like it says here in, ver- in chapter 4, you know, maybe a fire is coming, but for the people of God, it's a comforting one. It's one of protection and it's one of light. So th- there's there's this comfort in the midst of the calamity and when when i when i take a look at the the context the immediate context the the first thing that comes to mind in one word is hezekiah you know you're talking about a, a remnant and you have these two bad kings jotham and ahaz and they they resided over all this wealth but they brought in all of this idolatry well after after these guys comes uh, sennacherib comes the Assyrians, and they're going to come right up to the gates of Jerusalem. They're going to nearly capture the city. Things are going to be left a mess. But there is going to be this little remnant, and the remnant is going to be ruled by King Hezekiah. And and what do you get under King Hezekiah? Well, he's one of the very, very few good kings of Jerusalem, of Judah, that you get described in the Bible. And he institutes these sweeping reforms. Um, only Yahweh is going to be worshipped. We're going to get rid of all the idols and all the Asherah poles, and we're going to get rid of all of this, this syncretism, all of this polytheism. We're going to bring out the, the book of the law. We're going to change the way that we do things here. We're going to live differently, right? What, what's it say in verse 4, right? Um, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment. 
mm-hmm. th- there's there's actually there is i mean even within the lifetime of isaiah th- this this small first fulfillment that there there is actually a little bit of repentance here under king hezekiah um and and you get that too we didn't have a chance to talk about this but a lot of the language here in chapters 2 through 4 actually mirrors what you have in micah in fact in in back in isaiah 2 the words are almost word for word the same is what you have in Micah. Um, and, and what do Micah and Isaiah have in common? Well, they were prophets that were active in the times of of, uh, of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. So there, there is actually, it does seem like there are there is a remnant and there is um, this fulfillment that God's people could rejoice over that happens even within the lifetime of the prophets here. Yeah, I think it, it goes back also with a, with something that you said very early on in our time. Uh, you know, the idea of of repentance. You know, and, and you see with Hezekiah that you know repentance isn't just okay, being sorry and giving a second chance. You know, repentance mm-hmm. is is more than just being apologizing and then being pardoned for what you did. Repentance is putting aside that which was wicked and evil and things you did wrong right. aside. You get rid of them. Yeah. And, yeah, verse 4, when it talks about washing away that, that the filth, um, purge the blood of Jerusalem from its midst, it, it, those are words of repentance, mm-hmm. not of simply just saying, oh, man, I messed up. Right. Can you give me a second chance? No, it's, a, right. it, it's, a, it's an understanding, a conclusion. Yes, I messed up and we're going to change things mm-hmm. to follow in the ways that God has commanded us to live. Right. No, exactly right. You know, repentance, I mean, the word literally means turning around, right? you, you got to go in a different direction. It's not like just saying, like, oh, no, uh, you caught me, but can I just keep walking down this path a little bit further? And no, sure. you got to you got to go a different yeah. direction now. You got Things have yeah. got to change. Um, and, but you, and that's we, a hard we, thing to yeah. teach people. You know, yeah. I... I uh, many times, again, use, with my own children and with, with with adults, it's, you know, being sorry is one thing, but most of the time you're sorry because you got caught. Five right. minutes later, you're doing the same boneheaded thing. Right. But That's right. true repentance and, and true um, sacrifice of your deeds is understanding, yeah, I messed up, and I'm going to set those things aside and by God's grace try to change my ways. Right. No, that, that that's right. And the and so in this way, we we see that there is this this pattern of forgiveness, a pattern of repentance. And so you have that first f- local fulfillment in Hezekiah, right? Um, there there are actually some in Jude, in Judah and Jerusalem who seem to get the message, right? But the thing is, repentance it's imperfect. We all have been there. You know, you try to put those things aside, and somehow they come creeping into your life, even just accidentally. All of a sudden, it's just there in your life again, you know. And and there we are, like saying to ourselves, how how could we let this happen? I thought that I was done with this sin. I I, I was trying to you know rip it out of my life, purge it, right? to have it be washed away, and here it comes back to me. And so that's what happened for the people of Israel, that, you know, Hezekiah brings these reforms, but they slide back into those same things. And so, yeah, later on you're going to get the Babylonian invasion. And so they're going to finish what the Assyrians started. Now you're going to get an exile. Um, mm-hmm. And then, we, like we saw in Daniel and Ezra, there's finally going to be repentance from that, and there's going to be a rebuilding, a return from exile, 
But then again, we're going to wind up into the same thing. And then the Romans are going to come, right? And, and so there's this pattern over and over again. Um, and it's all pointing towards our Lord Jesus Christ, because when he calls people to repentance, and that's what he was doing, right? Like like we saw this Sunday, you know, like the, he's the shepherd going after that one lost sheep because he brings repentance uh, in the ultimate way. Yeah, and, you know, I... It, it, I see this always as just a, a, an amazing blessing to be able to have Scripture in front of us, to be able to go back and, and see the pattern of Israel, God's chosen people, you know, and you constantly see their ups and their downs, their peaks and their valleys. And for you and I to step back and say, hey, that's us. Right. And, you, and we get to see the context of God's grace, you know, Isaiah and the prophets and these kings, the, the good kings, the bad kings, you know, they're living it in real time. Mm-hmm. And what an amazing blessing for, for you and I to to lead people to see, guess what, in the same way that God has worked for his people in the past is the same way that God works for you today. It, 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 God's, God's, God's accountability to to our sinful actions and God's accountability to his grace never changes. Right. No, that, that that's right. And, and and you see that, then that's really the remarkable thing, even though again and again, we get it wrong as God's people. You know, you know, here, God is gracious enough to call us, you know, his branch, uh, beautiful and glorious, right? But he says all those things knowing, right, that this is only going to lead into the Babylonian captivity, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, the, the same pattern is going to get repeated when the Romans come and bring their destruction. So he is he's so gracious as to call us beautiful and to forgive us and to truly forgive our sins and wash them away, even knowing when they're, they're going to come back. You know, that that's that's the, the goodness of God. And his faithfulness is just shown again and again and again. Um, despite our faithlessness, and and that's and that's really why it points ultimately to, to Christ here, because Hezekiah is a good king, and he brings some reforms, he brings some changes, right? But it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough until you get the true King, uh, Jesus Christ, and the reform that he brings, the change that he brings, is is that ultimate change. Um, we only got like maybe like half a minute here, but yeah, some concluding thoughts there on that idea. Yeah, I I think the the way that this ends in verses five and six again show the presence of God as one, you know, the cloud by day, the smoke and the shining flame, again under the cover of Yahweh, and under the cover of Christ, we see that we are held up or will be held over us a tabernacle, a covering, a shelter, that no matter what happens, the promises and the grace of God are always there and always with us. Amen. Christ, Christ is our true and ultimate temple. Christ, um, who we who we are in through baptism in the church. Thank you so much, brother. Good having you, you on for the first time here, and got to have you on again real soon. Absolutely. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, everybody. That was Pastor Nate Ruback, pastor of Grace Lutheran Chapel in St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in today. We're moving on to Isaiah chapter five. It's a, it's a new song. It's a new poem here, new prophecy. So check that out. We thank our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Till next time, everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. 
You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.